And now it's time for Guaranteeing Your Retirement with your host, David Graham from Graham Capital, an estate planning and investment management firm right here in Florida. Here's your host, David Graham. Good morning. This is Dave Graham, the retirement guy, and you're listening to Guaranteeing Your Retirement. On this beautiful day here, beautiful March day in the Tampa Bay area, shows brought to you by Graham Capital Advisors. We are the people that you come to when you're getting ready for retirement and you want to do it properly, you want to do it correctly. You want to do it stress-free. Let us show you how easy it is. It's a three-legged stool. Three simple ways, a process that if you do all three of them, it's legal, it's planning, it's investing. If you do them all correctly, I guarantee you, you're going to have a guaranteed happy retirement. Let us show you how easy it is. We have offices in Tampa, Sarasota, right on K Street in Washington, D.C. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. That's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And with that, with that, as always, before we get started, let's all offer a huge heartfelt thanks to our police, firefighters, emergency personnel, our teachers, people that take care of us. And what about all the men and women in the military services that are so far from home and protecting us? Where would we be without them? Thank God we have them. And with that, I don't know if you saw this one in the news this past week. We always like to start the show off with levity here. It's crazy how the world is changing. Listen to this. There is a remote kissing device that has been created by university students in China for people on long-distance relationships. The th it's a 3D silicone gadget that has a mouth-shaped module, and it's triggered through a kiss, which is then transferred to the mouth on the other user's device. It mimics the movement, temperature, and pressure of the kiss using sensors through an iPhone app with the phone linked to the kissing device via Bluetooth. Okay, so now you're going to have personal relationships. <laughs> you have computers running things. Now you have personal relationships through a computer also. My God. And my mother used to talk about a Dick Tracy watch where you're talking to a watch. And before she passed away a few years back, I got her one. And she just couldn't get over the fact that you could talk to a watch. But the world is changing. All right. Fun fact of the week. The average person has an estimated 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day. So when you're just thinking you're doing nothing, you're probably kicking one thought out after another. Quote of the week, expect the best, prepare for the worst, but capitalize what comes. That's Zig Ziglar. And as always, we always have to have our federal crimes of the week. And like we say, it's impossible to count all the federal crimes on the books. People have tried Ready for this one? It's a federal crime to drive on the beach on Cape Cod, the national seashore down there, without having a tire pressure gauge in your car. You better make sure you got that pressure gauge. I guess it's because they probably want you to air the tires when you're on the sand, something like that. Beautiful down there. I used to live in East Orleans down there near Chatham and when I was a young man. It's a beautiful place. Let's look at your financial closet. Now, what does that mean? You know, for some people, time for a spring cleaning. 
That often means diving into that cluttered closet and getting it cleaned out and got to get it organized. So let's look at what principles we can take from a closet clean out and then apply it to your financial lives. Okay, how about this one? How is it possible for someone's financial life to even look like a closet, right? Well, just like in closets, everybody has a different level of organization in their financial lives. You know, some people, everything is perfect, exactly where everything's supposed to be. While other people, they have a very messy financial situation with no organization, no plan. It's always kind of overwhelming to start the process of cleaning and organizing a closet. And for most people, it's probably no different than when it comes to getting their organized themselves organized financially. So, you know, how could somebody even begin to start organizing their financial life? Well, think of the things you got to do, you know, find all of your current account statements, you, you know, determine your balances, who's managing what, uh, you know, find your tax returns, your insurance policies, Organize everything so that you know what you have and where things are yourself. Don't ask your spouse to do it. You'll probably get yelled at just by even asking that. But just you know, make sure things easier. Make it, make it easier for yourself. More than anything else, you sit down with a professional. Once you've gotten all these items out of their hiding places, what now what do you do? Well, Okay, th think about things. You group similar investments together, just like you might hang all the items of the you know, same color together in your closet. You, know, you should organize your financial holdings by risk level and when you're going to need money, where you're going to get it from. It's easier to identify accounts that you know, might need an overhaul then also when you're looking at what you got. What about a monthly budget? Get a, get a budget on paper so that you can know at a glance if you're on the right track. That, that helps you keep an eye on where your money is going so you can easily monitor where you stand each month. You know, just like when you see you're getting low on your socks and your underwear, well, you know, it's time to do the laundry. And what about the accounts? Do they match? Do your accounts actually manage what you want to accomplish, your goals? How many times have, have People dressed only to get to work, and then they realize they got mismatched socks. You know, they have a blue one and they have a black one, and this is not really obvious. You know, in the same way, a bad financial decision might might not be obvious to you. You know, if you're a financial rookie, and you could easily end up with a plan that simply isn't going to accomplish any of your goals. And what about you know? I think I think of mistakes people make. These are usually classic classic retirement plant mistakes. See if this applies to any of you. Here's some examples. You're investing in 59 years old and you're investing the same way you invested when you were 39. That's a bad one because you're getting close to retirement. The last thing you want to do is to take a big hit now and have a 2008 hit now just before retiring. Good gosh. Don't do that. What about starting Social Security and you really don't have a plan or a strategy of when to take it, why to take it? You do have a giant check coming to you. And I always tell people, if you have Social Security, if you need it, take it. But if you don't need it, leave it alone. From 62 to your full retirement age, 66, 67, you're going to get 6% more a year. Don't touch it. Let it grow for you. If you wait till 70 or so, you're going to get 8% more a year. You know, what about focusing on tax preparation? 
but you don't do any tax planning. It's a difference. It's one thing getting your taxes done. It's, it's another thing planning on not having to pay taxes if you don't have to. What about uh, you know people assuming that most of your retirement health care needs are going to be covered by Medicare? Well, Medicare pays 80%. Part A and Part B is 20%. But you've got to come up with the money to pay for a supplement to pay for that 20%. Unless you go on to a Medicare HMO, which by 100%, but then you're restricted to the program. There are doctors, there are benefits, what have you. You've got to make those decisions before you retire. And I guess most importantly, people sometimes start taking additional risk to make up for lost time. You don't want to do that if you're getting close to retirement. Let me just say this to you. What you got is what you got. If you start taking unnecessary risk, well, what's, what, what happens? You know, please, you might as well just go to take your 401k or IRA and go to, go to Publix and buy lottery tickets if you want to take risk. What the heck? Come on, be smart this time, will you please? You know, when you hear the word predictable income, you know, the name of our show is Guaranteeing Your Retirement. Is there really such a thing as having guaranteed income in retirement? You know, maybe the question is really guaranteed by whom? Well, look at some of the things that you know are guaranteed. Um, let's say you have a house, you have a rental house. Well, you have rental income. Okay, but what happens if the property goes unrented for a while? That's happened to me, I'll tell you that. Uh, a variable annuity. You know, people come into our office and they have variable annuities and many, many of them, they reduce the amount of the lifetime income once the account hits a zero balance. That's why you never really want a variable annuity. 30 years ago, it's the best thing since sliced bread, but there was nothing else. Now you want to stay away from those things. Bonds, you know, companies, governments, they could default or the bonds could, could be called. Stock dividends. Well, stock dividends go up and down like a yo-yo. So again, when you think of predictable income, you know, you got you might have a pension. If you don't, you know, Social Security is guaranteed as long as we're in business. But think about all the things that you have coming in that you know you can constantly count on. That's why we always say plan for your own retirement. Uh, and even if you do establish some kind of uh, predictable income streams, what do you do when inflation decreases your buying power, buying power of your income like we're going through now? Do you have a plan in place? You have thought much of these things. When you come to our offices, we'll show you and they ask you questions that are going to get you to even think more. After that first appointment, you're going to go home with a whole different way of thinking and planning for retirement. Let us show you how easy it is. Let us help you. Like I said at the beginning of the show, we do it all. Legal, planning, investing, one-stop retirement planning. We can show you how to do it properly. We have well over 100 years of combined planning experience. We love what we do. Offices in Tampa, Sarasota, Washington, D.C. on K Street. Let us help you. Go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And on the board with us today, we have the infamous James Berlander. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning. Okay, Jambo, I think we got some emails there. What do we got? Ah, uh, yeah. So the first one comes from L over in Clearwater. L writes in, I have a 401k from an old job that I'm obviously not contributing to anymore since I work somewhere else now. It had been doing well for a while, but dropped a lot in 2022. Should I go ahead and roll it over to an IRA and invest differently? Maybe I should have rolled it over already. Yeah, you better believe you should have. Al. Look, if you leave a company 
uh, you know, it always amazes me that when someone gets terminated from a company, a RIF reduction in force, same thing, nice way of saying it, they still leave their money with the company. When you leave your money in a 401k with your old employer, you're still paying a fee for that. You're paying a fee for that. They've done countless studies. You take that money and you self-direct it and you put it into a traditional IRA. Okay, you do it yourself or possibly even a Roth IRA, depending on how old you are. But the bottom line is that you self-direct it yourself and you get it away from the 401k. You don't want to be in a 401k if you're not working for that company. That doesn't make any sense. Good question. All right. Next over uh, comes from Buck in Osprey. He writes in, I just turned 65, but I plan to work for a few more years. So I have the option of staying on my company health insurance plan or switching to Medicare. Mr. Graham, which one is better? Well, I guess the question is, are you paying for the one from your from your employer? Does it actually cover everything you need? Well, the answer is, if you're not paying for it and it's, it's sufficient for you, then keep staying on it. But now if you have to pay for part of that, what are you paying? Because when you have Medicare, you have Part A and Part B. Part A is pays 80% of, of all of your bills that are hospital-related. Part B is all the extraneous costs, going to the doctor, doctor visits. So you will then need a supplement for Part B uh, or join a Medicare HMO of some sort that will pay the balance for you and possibly even give you some drug benefits, but you're restricted to their program. But if you have Part D... Well, that's the drug plan. You could join that also if you're on a lot of medications. So the question is, are you paying for the group plan or not? And if you're not paying for it, stay right on it. If you're paying for it, then you're going to have to shop the difference between what you're paying versus going out and getting Medicare and a supplement. If just a Medicare and then a supplement, like with the AARP, it's about a couple of hundred bucks a month and it covers everything other than some medications. So make an informed decision. Good question. All right, and the final one for this week comes from Peggy in Tampa. I recently inherited an IRA from my dad. Can you help me understand what I need to know about this account? There seems to be uh, some conflicting information online. Well, the, the information online is they just changed the ruling a year or so ago saying that you have 10 years to spend it. Uncle Sam is now waiting for you to dip into that so they can get tax money on it. There was a, a, a generation ago or not too long ago, you could have kept it for a long, long time, but now they want you to dip into it right away. But you have a 10 year period where you have to spend down that, that money from your IRA so they can have a taxable consequence. And if you what you really need to do is bring that in and let's see what we can do with it to see if we can possibly shelter it in some capacity for you. So go to our website, it's grahamcapitaladvisors.com. And online, we have Stash Graham, the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management, Washington, D.C. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com. Good morning, David. Well, I'll tell you, down here in Florida, Stash, we have spring training all over the place. Baseball is starting up, starting up real soon. But let me ask you, okay, the markets now, the Fed says they're going to be raising interest rates, not even you know, 25 basis points, but maybe a half. And you saw what's happened to the markets the last couple of days this past week. What's your take on it? 
Boy, I'll tell you what. So a few days ago, uh, if listeners are not aware, a few days ago, uh, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell made his semi-annual testimony to the Senate Banking Conference. So this this happened on Tuesday, uh, and of which he basically said that inflation risks still tilt to the upside, labor market remains very, very tight, uh, and that he speaking behalf of other policymakers, the people that are on the Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMC, that is the right arm of the Federal Reserve, uh, that those members, those especially the voting members of the FOMC, were p- prepared to increase rate hikes if it warranted. And this spooked the market greatly. You saw the markets just on that Tuesday alone trade lower. uh, All three indices basically trade down 2%. Uh, Again, I think everyone was very spooked. You saw the futures market uh, increase the peak Fed funds rate to right now, which, which, um, you know, well, excuse me, at the end of Tuesday, at the end of his testimony, you saw the futures market pricing in uh, a Fed funds, a peak Fed funds rate of 5.6%. This was a material uh, increase in in underlying rates. Well, you know, we we look at the markets. They obviously spooked the markets. But on the other hand, you know, American companies now have added more jobs than than they were expected in February. So it's kind of, you know, how is that? Explain that balance. Like you know, there's still jobs being created. What is causing that? Well, you know, I would warn, this is the important part about where we are. We wrote about this to clients a couple months ago. I would not trust any jobs data. Just simply put, right off the bat, I would not trust any jobs data. One, there are seasonal adjustments that I think are unrealistic when you, when you try to find an accurate number for this specific month, uh, say if it was, whether it was January or February. Uh, I just simply want to trust any of the numbers. Uh, they are coinciding or lagging at best. They get adjusted. Uh, now, it, it's fair that you could see adjustments higher. I think that's unlikely. And I think that's unlikely because we've seen developments uh, in the last five to six months, which indicate that the jobs market is slowing down. You are right. seeing a noticeable increase in layoffs, and you are seeing a noticeable increase in the amount of companies taking jobs off the market. Uh, we quoted in last month's letter to investors uh, a quote from ZipRecruiter's CEO. And ZipRecruiter's CEO, ZipRecruiter, for, for people who are not aware, ZipRecruiter is one of the um, nation's uh, largest online job listing uh, services uh, or websites in the country. I think it's fair to say that if the CEO of ZipRecruiter says that the job markets are clearly slowing down and we saw a noticeable downtick in activity, regardless of where we are in the season, I think you have to take that at face value. And this was his commentary to investors just a few weeks ago. Uh, that the the labor market is slowing down, that you have seen a material decrease just in the last 30 to 45 days. The problem is uh, 
that the jobs data that's being reported to you right now, I do not think is indicative uh, or is, is providing a good indication of that material decline. And again, I think the, the, my, my, my negative sentiment towards the jobs data is how it's collected and the various variables sure. that could adjust the actual headline number that gets reported to people. No, I understand. Well, look, you know, right now we have, gosh, and I, I, I remember this very clearly back in 1980, 81, Paul Volcker when he's head of the Fed, you know, inflation was going rampant. And right now we have the deepest yield inversion since 1981. So I guess, are we going to have a hard landing? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yes. From from my point of view, I think you do see a, a a hard landing. You know, I know a lot of the pushback towards the market selling off is the commentary from people that this is the most forecasted recession uh, in in modern history, and that right. wouldn't be wrong. But that doesn't mean that you buy equity or you buy at risk assets uh, because this is the most forecasted recession in history. So I think the common thought by market participants was that you have uh, a, a, a very forecasted recession and a recession that's going to be mild. And after a couple quarters, we're going to bounce out of it. And I think where people get it wrong is it's not going to be a couple quarters. It's going to be more than a couple quarters. And you've already seen earnings start to contract. Right. At a time when the Federal Reserve is actively taking money out of the market and they're making that money more expensive. Uh, again, I think it's a combination of headwinds that, in my mind, does not end with the market only falling, the S&P 500 only falling 22% and then bounces back almost 50% of that in the next 60 days. And I'm thinking about late fall last year and during the winter months. Uh, that doesn't happen when you have a, a growth rates or the level of growth continuing to decline in the United States with a tougher monetary policy, with corporate earnings contracting, uh, again, at a time when the, the stock market is being valued at um, a standard deviation above its historical norm. Yeah. The market doesn't got... fall 20% on that. It falls 30 to 40%. When those combinations of events uh, intertwine. No, no, no two ways about it. I mean, when you look at with the Fed rates now, as that that controls so much that I often wonder if the markets even take it into consideration. You know, you look at the difference between the two-year rate and the ten-year rate. Uh, I mean, my God, the, uh, you know, the discount it's, it's larger than the percentage point for since 1981, and and when Paul Volcker when he had to engineer those rates to go as high as they went, that broke the back of double-digit inflation. But we had a lengthy recession, and I don't see how they can do it without having a recession. Um, so knowing that, how are you, how are you investing your monies? What well, you I think it's people? a very, very tricky period right now because, you know, you've mentioned 1981 a couple times. Well, one of the dynamics I think is important is the overall debt to GDP – of the United States in 1981 was low. Right now, we're at about 105% of total debt to our GDP. We're a much more levered country. I do fear that one of the aspects, and the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, put out a report three weeks ago, 
and they projected, they forecasted the total debt related to GDP of the United States for the next decade or two. And it shoots up like a ski slope. Uh, or excuse me, it shoots up like you're going down a ski slope. I mean, mm-hmm. it, from an aspect of it's very, very elevated. Uh, and that is dangerous. And one of the primary reasons that they forecast material rise in debt is because interest rates are higher than at any point that we've seen really in the last 10 years. And you had uh, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, uh, who was under uh, President Trump, at the time of COVID, when we saw this material increase in deficit spending, use short-term bonds to pay for it. Well, those bonds are going to start coming due in the next six months for a good two to three years. And so the question is for Treasury Secretary Jenny Yellen, how does she refinance those? Does she refinance it with more short-term bonds? We kick the can down the curb, or do we issue longer dated U.S. Treasuries? Uh, But again, it's costing the government, it's costing the taxpayer more to service this debt. And by itself, we're having to issue more debt just to service a growing interest expense. And that is a self-fulfilling loop that is very, very tough, and it's different from 1981. So I do fear the knock-on effect for financial assets, uh, risk assets like stocks, is more pronounced than I think than the market is willing to give it through something like what we just talked about with U.S. Treasuries and interest rates possibly being higher for Treasuries because that is the risk-free rate. That is the interest rate that all financial assets get priced on. And the bigger the move on the risk-free asset, the bigger the move for the riskier assets. They have the biggest move of all. And so for stocks, who would have the biggest move on any type of move on on the risk-free rate, if the risk-free rate moves higher, then stocks are going to move lower more materially. You saw this, and if you're skeptical of this dynamic, you saw this play out the last 13 years when you saw Federal Reserve keep rates very, very cheap and do a lot of quantitative easing, and you saw the stock market jump up like a rocket ship, and you saw a lot of junky companies, a lot of zombie companies, a lot of speculative companies appreciate in value even though their underlying operating businesses were incredibly weak. It's not normal to function in an economy where after three or four years, if your business doesn't generate a profit, you shouldn't, you're not a business. You shouldn't exist anymore in, in logical, sensible times. But you see these businesses get access to so much cheap capital because there's so much free money being thrown out by the Federal Reserve. And so, again, I think if you're skeptical of the aspect that if the risk-free rate, if the Treasury rate goes higher, meaning it gets more expensive, it goes to 5%, it goes to 6%. And I'm skeptical that we get to 6%, but say if it does go to 6%. If you're skeptical that if the Treasury goes to 6%, say the two-year Treasury goes to 6%, right. that you don't see material downside pressure where stocks move lower, if you're skeptical of that dynamic, look back at what happened the last 12 years because it was the exact opposite where interest rates were artificially suppressed and that pushed stock prices higher. And not necessarily that the stock prices themselves moved higher, but the multiples given to those companies and to the stock market well above historical norms. 
Look, right now, let's go to commodities for a second. Like, for example, I noted the price of crude oil is like 78 bucks a barrel. What's going on with with the oil market? So I, I think the dynamic with the oil market is specifically tied to what do you believe of China and what do you believe on the prospects of their reopening and how much demand for energy are they going to have? Because right now, I think you have a lot of skepticism from the West, from the United States, for example, about how much crude oil are they buying from Russia? And again, I think the tough part about that respective market is you have two countries that are basically black boxes. Russia does not really want to say – they'll tell you what their goal is, but they're not going to tell you how much they're selling to China or India. And China is not going to tell you how much energy they have. So all you know is, is you know China and more information has been coming out over the last month about how they've been supporting Russia through the back channels. Uh, whether it's through buying the purchasing of goods and trades, some in maybe even some cases militarily. Uh, but again, I think it's a dynamic that bears watching, especially if you are someone that has a lot of exposure to the energy space. We are bullish on energy over the next three to five years. I think structurally, it is a it is a very valuable the risk reward right. skews to the investor, and I think it's one of the few sectors that global recession or not, where you could say, hey, in the next three to five years, I'm pretty confident that my investment in energy company insert whatever you want uh, is going to be higher. Now, again, there are other events that can happen. Management could be very poor with how they, they navigate capital. But I think the risk-reward skews in your favor because I think the dynamic of higher energy prices where we're not going to see 30 to $40 a barrel of crude oil, where it sits in the 60s and 70s and 80s with an occasional spike to the 90s, is very profitable. It's a very profitable price for the vast majority of American companies. Excuse yep, me, I, very valuable energy companies. Well, it's, it remains to be seen, you know, going on with what's going on in Russia right now, it's it's unknown, but long-term, what, what else do we have? We don't have fusion yet. We don't have electric cars controlling our economy yet. It's the future, and only time will tell. What about gold? I noticed that gold went up just a little bit now. Is now a time to look at gold as a commodity? So I think the time is getting close for gold. The problem with gold is it's going to move in the opposite direction of whatever the sentiment is about the Federal Reserve. So if the market sentiment is that the Federal Reserve is going to continue to raise interest rates uh, and that the Federal Reserve is hawkish and they have more months to go and that there's no finish line in sight in terms of interest rate hikes, gold is going to trade lower. And you saw this dynamic happen on on Tuesday when the Fed chair went to the Senate and talked to the Senate Banking Committee. But I think if we're being honest, and if a global recession is your base case come summertime like it is ours, uh, then gold has better days ahead. Because if we do enter a global recession, the central banks are going to have to take their foot off the gas pedal. And we've talked numerous times about this. Why does the Federal Reserve take their foot off the gas pedal? Because of the lagging time response of their policy and how it impacts financial asset prices in the economy. 
Uh, and so if we do see a weakening in the economy that becomes very noticeable in the coinciding economic data, say something like jobless claims, uh, the Federal Reserve, again, is going to have to stop with rate hikes. And I'm not necessarily saying that they have to cut interest rates immediately, but it's going to have to be something on their radar within the next six to nine months post when that date happens, when you start to see a weakening of coinciding data. Because, and again, we've talked about it before with interest rate hikes and why we would believe a global recession as our base case comes summertime, is that when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, it takes three to four quarters at a minimum for all those interest rate hikes to bleed into the economy, to start to impair the consumption trends of a business, of a household, because it creates money. Money is becoming more expensive. Your credit card is becoming more expensive. And ultimately, right. that eats away over time at your ability to consume. Well, when we look back at the 2022 rate hikes, they started, they really started, the 50 to 75 basis point moves started in the early summer, late spring, early summer. And so I think it's fair to expect that come March, April, and May, is when you're really going to start to see the noticeable change in consumption. You'll see the downward effect on the economy because the economy is 70% base consumption. Uh, and then again, I think that's going to play itself out through the summer and fall months, independent of what the Federal Reserve does, because any change the Federal Reserve makes won't really come to effect, say, if they were to start cutting interest rates in, in October it's not going to have an effect on the economy until the summer of 2024. And through that period of time, you're still going to have a lot of pain being taken on by businesses who are used to operating in an environment where money was readily available and very, very cheap. Sure. Well, we, you know, the old cliche, go away in May and come back in October. Well, it looks like everything is pointing to a definite downturn this summer, much less, I guess, one last question. Uh, we get through the summer. Do you expect there to be a government shutdown this year? Now it's politics. You know, we're about a year and a half away from, from another election. What's your take on that? It's going to be very interesting to see how the fall washes out. I still think from everything that I'm hearing from Capitol Hill that the chances of a chances of a government shutdown come at some point this year is elevated. It's better than 50-50. Right. Now, the government probably is going to hit their debt ceiling come the summertime. And it's, it's, it's depends on tax receipts when that is. I've heard, I've seen sure. it. I've seen estimates as early as June and as late as August. But moderate Republicans will not allow the government to default on a debt ceiling technicality. There's going to be enough right. support. Right. The problem is when they look to do the spending bill in the fall, and I think that's when you're going to see a lot of people put their foot down and say, look, the deficit's out of control. we got to stop it. Yeah, that's just going to be adding fuel to the fire with what's going on now. Stash, as always, we appreciate your sound, sage advice on what's going on in the business world. And we'll be talking to you next week. You take care, buddy. Thanks, David. See you now. Uh, if you're a new listener, you're listening to Stash Graham. He's our chief investment officer, managing director of Graham Capital Wealth Management, Washington, D.C. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com. And if you took a hit last year, you lost some money, well, you need to get a good second opinion. And this is the guy you need to talk to. 
let us help you set a time up where he can straighten your things out for you. Go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. You really want to be lucky in life? Go help someone. And God's going to smile on you, and you're going to get to be incredibly lucky. We're lucky to be Americans. It's right on our currency. And God, we trust. Good luck. God bless. Take care of each other. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next week. This program is sponsored by Graham Capital Advisors, LLC. Graham Capital Advisors, LLC is an independent estate planning and insurance agency. Investment advisory services are provided by Graham Capital Wealth Management, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Graham Capital Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. Individuals should consult with a qualified professional for guidance before making any purchasing decisions.